2008, I had the pleasure of trekking through the Dogon region of Mali. The Dogon is a fringe land on the edge of the desert with huge sandstone bluffs, reminiscent of the national parks of southern Utah. The rocks are deep orange, carved into curving tunnels and canyons over the course of millennia by the delicacy of flowing water. To get to the Dogon, I had to take a series of buses from Mali's capital city of Bamako to a village and then hop on the back of a motorcycle for three hours of bumpy, sandy riding. The motorcycle driver dropped me off at a crossroads and in bro broken French that I tried to piece together from my Spanish and Portuguese, he told me that a guide would show up the next morning. So I unfolded my sleeping bag and slept in the dust at the crossroads. <laughs> Today, we are in a similar spot. We are at the crossroads at the beginning of Lent. Before us is a journey through the desert. Some of us have trekked through the desert before. Some of us have been through hard times of late, but it, it has never been this desert, this season, this time in life in our faith. The truth is that Lent is always a road unknown. Lent is a time for us to practice slimming down our lives. Some of us give up chocolate. Others of us stop eating meat. Maybe you spend less time on Facebook or on Instagram or what have you. That can be great. It's all nice. On any journey, we can learn something about what we need and what we don't need. Something about our baggage and what it means to have enough. But most importantly, we take this journey, this time, to remember what matters. We take this time to slow down and to turn to God. If any of you are struggling with the first few days of Lent, maybe going without whatever it is you are uh, trying to go without, having a hard time living without that something, Jesus has been there. Today, Matthew reminds us how Jesus went 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness while fasting. And that was just the warm-up. Just when he was at his lowest, just when Jesus was having visions of In-N-Out burgers on the horizon, Jesus faces these trials. Have you ever been out camping with friends and the conversation devolves into the dreaming of the food you'll eat when you get back to civilization? <laughs> it might start with like one thing, but it turns into a whole game of who can imagine the tastiest food. Um, the morning after I was left at the crossroads in the dust in the Dogon, I met up with uh, this guide and three Peace Corps volunteers who were stationed in Ghana. On our uh, third night of trekking together, our conversation devolved into that game, thinking about all the food back home. <laughs> As luck would have it, I woke up that night with food poisoning. 
After vomiting through the pre-dawn hours, I had to pack up and trek to our next spot because there was no water where we were. It was one of the worst days I've ever had. <laughs> Every step was painful. You know, I was traveling. I had a pretty light pack. I just had a little day pack. But I also I was traveling at that time with this little traveler guitar. And invariably, I'd go places and people would be like, hey, you want to play a song or whatever? And I love that. I love that. I love learning what other people love and love sharing my music with them and all that. But this day, I was trekking along. And we came up, you know, came up over this ridge. And I was, you know five minutes behind the rest of the group and I get there and everyone's excited because this guy has just brought some kind of strange stringed instrument to, to come play with me. <laughs> and I like collapse in the dirt and just look up at him like, no way, buddy. We can't, can't do it today. <laughs> at midday, we uh, stopped at a house where someone was cooking food for the group and the, the smell of the food made me nauseous, but I wanted it so badly. I was famished. What a word, huh? I think it's hard to remember the depths of that word with the conveniences we have. But that is where we find Jesus at the beginning of this temptation. And it's powerful to remember that in the very next chapter of Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think Jesus' hunger sets the stage for how urgent each temptation is. In each case, Jesus is tested in something fundamental. Food, trust, pride. Jesus gets through the first test by doing what the old hymn suggests. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Jesus turns to a passage of scripture to help ground him. And it does the trick. The passage helps Jesus remember what matters most. God. In classic debate team fashion, the devil picks up what Jesus is putting down and tries to beat him at his own game. The devil uses scripture to trap Jesus. Notice this difference. So often the Bible is used as a weapon. It's used to prove opinions that may or may not have anything at all to do with God. But Jesus reminds us that scripture's most powerful application is in giving hope, in turning the afflicted back to the firm foundation, the ground of our being. In each of these tests, Jesus is tempted to look elsewhere for satisfaction. But in each test, Jesus returns his gaze to the divine. And that is what Lent is about. It's about where we look for satisfaction, where do we turn for happiness, and what can we give up that will help us direct back to the source. Lent is not about us. It's not about personal triumphs, getting in shape, or picking ourselves up by our bootstraps. Lent is not about us. Lent is about God. It's not about what we can do, but what God can do. How God can take our dust and ashes and grow something beautiful. 
and Lent, we deliberately step into the wilderness, into a desert that we do not know. In that place, we wake up to the realization that we need a guide, a compass, to lead us through this wild, unknown land. All of that starts by asking, by saying one simple word, help. The author Anne Lamott has this book on prayer that some of you have read, some of you might not know. She boils prayer down to these three simple words, help, thanks, and wow. Most of us are better at one or two of these than others. I have no problem with thanks. And I live in constant, wow! But help. Help is really hard for me. Most of the time I pretend that everything is fine. I act like I can do it on my own, like a little hard work will just get me through. But Lent is a time to put that aside. On Ash Wednesday, I'm dropped off at the crossroads, and today, here we sit together in the dust. I love that these temptations come at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? Like, Jesus has just been baptized, he goes out in the desert, stars for a while, then he has these temptations. And it, it, sometimes I think we read this as if that's the end, like, Jesus, pass the test, done. Everything's good to go from here on out. No more trials. We forget that it's not exactly like that. Everywhere he goes, he's being, his life is being threatened, and eventually his life is taken from him. Life is full of tests. To get through it, we have to ask for help, to turn our gaze back to the divine, back to that voice that says, you are my child, the one I love. Remember, just before this passage, that's the voice we hear. That's the voice that gives Jesus the power to go out into the wilderness and be where he is right where we read today. Whether we realize it or not, we are children, infants, dependent on our mother for sustenance. Which brings us to Genesis to another temptation, to one of those passages in the Bible that I think a lot of us would love to just like scratch out and forget that it ever happened, um, which is never, ever, ever, ever going to happen. <laughs> I can't overstate the damage this passage has done, the depth of misogyny in our culture, or the extent to which it continues to influence the culture at large. Uh, just this week, the New Yorker caption contest, you know how in the back of the New Yorker there's that little cartoon contest and you can write in your own caption. Just this week, um, the contest picture has a picture of Eve handing Adam a pie, which is ridiculous in its own right. But here they are, you know, typical Adam and Eve standing there. And, uh, and Eve, of course, it's Eve, the homemaker. Do we need that? Um, but there, there are a couple, and there's still, there are three captions that are still uh, up for this one. The first one says, what do you mean it's your mother's recipe? <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, <laughs> the second one was is a, was a bit more curt and had a bit more of a pun. Uh, and <laughs> I'm gonna, it said simply, 
I'll be damned. (laughs) When taken outside of the life of faith, the temptation in Eden is cartoonish and destructive. It's hard to even hear it read aloud. But if you're willing to walk through this desert with me, I think there is something more important going on here that ties back to the gospel passage for today and to Lent in general. No, it's not that Jesus can resist temptation, but we can't. It's not a rub against human nature. Rather, I think it's a deeper understanding of just how profoundly human nature is linked to the divine. These two stories, the apple and the testing of Jesus, both address the tendency when under pressure to lose our focus on the divine. When we turn away from God as a source of our satisfaction, when we turn away from God and look to ourselves, we lose the ground of our being. We stand on shaky ground. But when we turn to God, all things are possible. In the confidence of Christ, even death has no sting. We can give our all to God and neighbor. We can hunger and thirst for righteousness. We can sacrifice what we have and what we have been for the sake of what we will be. Amen.